Hello and welcome to The Leap of Faith. It's great to be back with you on Friday evenings here on RTE Radio 1 and on this incredible night celebrating such a richness of arts, heritage and culture across the island of Ireland. On this 14th Culture Night, so many churches and spiritual spaces have been coming alive to the sound of music, entertainment, guided tours and exhibitions, including the historic St. Patrick's Cathedral, right in the heart of medieval Dublin, where even song and the glorious voices of the choir could be savoured, and which we're bringing to you now with How Can I Keep From Singing? Culture Night may be drawing to a close, but the doors of some venues and public spaces remain open for just a while longer. While in cities and towns up and down the country, visitors are slowly drifting off into the night, making their journey home. For others, the city streets are their home. Perhaps tonight they'll find a bed in a hostel or maybe a doorway or park bench where they'll settle down to sleep. On the programme tonight, I'm joined by Father Peter McVerry, founder of the Peter McVerry Trust, which provides vital services and supports for homeless people. The Reverend Brian Anderson is also with us. He's been a Methodist minister for 23 years now, serving in Belfast. And he's also co-chair of the Irish Interchurch Meeting and president of the Irish Council of Churches. And on the line from New York, we've Sister Jean Quinn. Sister Jean is founder of Sophia, an Irish organisation which for over two decades has been supporting people to recover from the trauma of homelessness. She's also executive director of Unanima International, a United Nations-based coalition of Catholic religious congregations focusing on concerns of women, children, migrants and the environment. You're all very welcome to the programme. Uh, Peter, I'm going to start with you. I was um, talking about the idea that tonight is culture night and people all over the city of Dublin have been going in and out of public buildings that many of the times they don't have access to. And they've most likely seen homeless people on the streets of the city tonight. Has it become normalised now at this stage? It has very much become normalised and that's the fear. We have got so used to uh, people sleeping on the street now. Uh, The only people who are shocked anymore are people coming up from the country who haven't been in Dublin for a long time or tourists coming over and they're shocked at the number of people who are sleeping rough and the number of people who are are begging. It's become normalised. The great problem at the moment is families becoming homeless and we've almost 4,000 children who are homeless. And I remember when the number of homeless children uh, passed 1,000 for the first time, there was an outcry. It was on the front page of the media. It was on every radio and television news programme. Government were commenting. Then the number of homeless children crossed 2,000. And there was a small little bit on the inside of the pave. And then when it crossed 3,000, there was hardly a mention. So it has become normalised. We've just become used to it. And once we've become used to it, we've lost uh, our sense of obscenity. Homelessness is an obscenity in a, in a country as wealthy as Ireland, fastest growing economy in the EU. And we have we have lost our, our sense of, uh, of obscenity. We'll explore that as a, as a theme this evening and look into it in a little bit more detail. Sister Jean... You know, you're also in a position in the work that you're doing with the UN and in New York to say that this isn't just a local issue, but it's a global issue as well. Correct. And I think actually uh, Father Peter sums it up very well um, in that he's saying it's normalised. And I suppose myself uh, working at the UN, it's, it's a global epidemic. 
and one of the big issues is the same for Ireland as it's the same globally is the shortages of affordable housing it's it's one of the concerns as you know I've just come back from Ireland uh, on Monday night and the issue is that I don't know is there anybody in government sitting around talking about it that is one of the big issues for me, that it's, it's happening, it's, it's going on, and people like Peter and the Peter McVeary Trust and Sophia Housing are picking up what should be picked up by government. And secondly is the children that are homeless. Um, how do we deal with that? Is this going to be a, an epidemic in their life in years to come? Because this is, that's the only thing they know living in hostels and living in hubs, which I have a real problem with anyway. Um, Unanim International here in New York are doing research globally into family homelessness because women and children are the furthest left behind. And when the UN talks about the social development and the international goals, women and children are the furthest left behind. And going round to Africa and Asia, I'm seeing that more and more. Reverend Brian Anderson, I want to bring you in on this now at this point. During the week, you uh, were part of an initiative. Uh, Can you tell us more about that? Yes, the Interchurch meeting and the Irish Council of Churches uh, about a year ago took on homelessness as one of the projects we'd like to uh, challenge the church about. We got together. We realised that with Brexit and with nationalism and nationality and all those bigger issues, something as important and significant of hitting individuals like homelessness could get lost in the bigger debate that government is having and so we wanted to keep it very much on the agenda of uh, the governments and and, and highlight that so what we decided to do was we will lobby government uh, through the Irish Council of Churches we represent 13 of the denominations across Ireland Uh, and uh, through the Irish uh, Interchurch meeting the Catholic Church join us as well Uh, and, and we give a commitment to lobby that this crisis this obscenity that Peter calls it and Jean called it, is something that just can't be allowed to, to continue on. But we also wanted to challenge churches. Uh, and so we've produced this, uh, this Bible study uh, for churches to, to engage with so that people can be... I think people care within church. They have that natural propensity that they're loving people, they're caring people. You know, you'd like to think that they'd be the ones who would speak to the rough sleeper on the Dublin streets or the Belfast streets. But they don't know what to do and how to engage with it and what are some of the issues that lie behind it. Experts like Jane and Peter uh, are there and they raise the issue regularly and very well. Uh, this little Bible study, which is called uh, Six Months, uh, A Lot Can Change. We're saying that within two months, three months, you can lose your job and be, be homeless. Mm. Uh, and so this takes through uh, people with church people with this little six weeks Bible study just to raise the issue and people will understand it we hope a, a question to all three of you and, and, and I just put, set it up for you on the idea that over the time <coughs> we've been doing this programme I've regularly heard voices say you know that they want a separation but of, from the church from government the separation of the church from education or indeed from hospitals but there isn't the same call for a separation from homelessness the, the society seems to be quite happy to let people of faith look after the homeless. Peter? 
Yeah, that's uh, most of the organisations working for homeless people uh, are faith-based or have been set up by uh, religious uh, or by the, the diocese. That's true. And from, <clears throat> I think it's about control, schools and hospitals, it's about control of the health or the, uh, or the education system that mm. people have a, have a problem with. You can't control a homeless policy or that. So I think people are very happy to see the church involved in in, in trying to address homelessness uh, and indeed if the church were not if the churches were not involved in addressing homelessness situation would be much much worse than it is today the churches have a real response churches are not uh, NGOs They're, it's not their responsibility to solve homelessness homelessness is a political problem and it has to be solved uh, through, through, political, through political action church's job is to reveal God to the world but the God that we reveal to the world, the Christian God that we reveal to the world is the God of compassion. And you can only reveal a God of compassion by being the compassion of God to people. So the churches have a real responsibility to reach out to those who are poor, those who are homeless, those who are uh, those who are lonely, all sorts of groups of marginalised groups. That is very much at the core of the of the church's ministry, and as well as that, you know, the church affirms the dignity of people. When we say I believe in God, what we mean is I believe in the dignity of every single human being as a child of God, and we deny that dignity to people when we leave them on the street or when we leave children in poverty. Sister Jean, what's your perspective on that? Yes, I, I, I would agree uh, with a lot of what Peter is saying there. I just want to say two things. There's a, a lot of faith-based groups at the UN. And in the last two years, we've worked very hard with the working group to end homelessness, to bring to the attention of the UN homelessness. There's no agreed de definition. It's never been talked about in the history of the UN. And uh, next February, for the first time in the history of the UN, we're going to be speaking about homelessness, adequate housing and social protection. So I think that's really an important step in the right direction globally. I think the other thing in terms of, I uh, give, give you the example of Sophia Housing, which really is a collaboration of religious congregations, nearly 17 congregations, who support the work of Sophia. So it's all my, if you could visualize um, Sophia at the center with satellite groups going out of the different congregations. And they, they replicate what Sophia is about right around the country. And they're working with uh, women and children to change the lives of them uh, from poverty, homelessness, to something that's normal. And so I think the relationship with the religious is very strong, it's concrete, and it's capable of enduring. And it has to endure. Because if you remember, uh, Peter, many years ago, you and I spoke on TV3, many years ago, I'm sure it's 20 years ago, and we were asked the same question, why do religious do what the government should be doing? And we do it because the government is not doing what they should be doing. So I think that's, that's, that's really strong for us. So we have a model, we believe it works. Um, many of the residents that we work with are, are still in housing. We've um, supported almost a thousand people in 2018, which is almost, I think, as far as I remember, an 18% increase from the numbers that were supported before. 
So these are important and uh, many times we've been gifted with the, with the accommodation, but there's not money for support. So we have to find that money. So to help the people break that cycle, and particularly for me, I feel passionate about women and children who find themselves out of home. Brian, is the scripture or Bible a, a policy document for homelessness? Is there anything in there? Yes, we've given uh, to our uh, the church people who read this uh, ideas for how they might canvas the local councillors, the local politicians, and how they might take this further. Jean's right. The, the thing that we as Christians have is that every individual is made in the image of God. And we must never lose that sense that this is individuals. The figures and the numbers are astronomical and obscene, but it's one person. It's one family. It's one child. It's one 56-year-old man. It's, it's, it's keeping it at that level. When I was in America this summer uh, in Fort Lauderdale, uh, there, there's a huge housing crisis in Fort Lauderdale. And the churches respond very well. And a pastor said to me, do you know what, Brian? The homeless in Fort Lauderdale have it quite good. And I find myself bristling. <laughs> My reaction was similar to how you yeah. just reacted, Michael. Mm. His point being, the weather's quite good. They can run around in shorts and T-shirts. There's four or five churches who provide meals for them every day. And, and they'll be okay. And I said, do you know what? You've really offended me. I... Now, I understand in America the church and the state thing is different to, to our context mm. in Britain and Ireland. Uh, but still, the no sense in what they were doing uh, to, to lobby against the systemic problem that was causing the issue in Fort Lauderdale. Mm. And I've been reading um, Sam Wells' book about the Nazareth Project. And Sam Wells, the, 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 the rector of St. Martin's in the Field, makes the point, you can do stuff for people. And that's what the church in Fort Lauderdale and to an extent maybe the churches in Ireland are doing, doing things for people. The key is to transfer the Christianity into doing it with people, yep. journeying with them towards their home, which, you know, Sophia and what Peter does and others do, mm. uh, does that. So, so Peter, the, the yeah. idea that, you know, as you hear um, Brian's uh, explanation of, of how he might approach it, how does that match up with the harsh realities that you see and, and indeed that Jean sees? I think uh, the ideology in the America and the ideology in Europe is very different. Mm. I think in America, uh, the the focus is on giving people employment opportunities. But then they look after their own housing, they look after their own education, they look after their own health care. Whereas in Europe, we say, no, everybody is entitled to basic health care, to basic education, to basic housing. And we have to ensure that everybody has access to that. That's what the Americans and the, the Trumpians would call socialism. Mm. <laughs> uh, but I think that reflects the dignity of people. And we have a responsibility to ensure that... Uh, everybody has access to the basic human rights. And remember the gospel, a gospel is very radical, <laughs> but we've tamed it. Jesus says an awful lot in the gospel about wealth and poverty. He's scathing of those who are wealthy and ignoring the, the poor and the hungry all around them. Absolutely scathing. You never hear anything from the churches about wealth and poverty, uh, you know. Jesus talked a lot about wealth and poverty and very little about sex. The church is talking an awful lot about sex and very little about wealth and poverty. So I think the Gospels are really, really radical and we've got to rediscover the radicality of the Gospels. Sister Jean? Um, well, 
one of the interesting things there that uh, Peter has said, and I think it's, we really need to bring it to the fore, is this is a human rights issue. Can't get past that. And unless we take it on as, as such, we're not going to get anywhere. The other thing I really want to say is we need to bring the voices of the people into what we're talking about because they say, and I, I had a, a celebration of my jubilee at the weekend and some of the families that I worked with uh, came and joined me. And one of the things they said, don't talk about us without us. And as a daughter of wisdom, and I believe that it's wisdom who has built her house and set her table and she invites all regardless of of faith people of all faith and none are are welcome and somebody once described uh, the daughters of wisdom as kitchen table people and i think that for me is about listening to the voices of the people so that we're not out there just talking about housing or finances or the government the people are telling us their story and their stories have to be heard yeah, one of the people we had contributing to our launch of this Bible study was Bill. And Bill was an accountant from a very wealthy family and through a series of circumstances found himself homeless. And he was making the point, the mental health issues that goes with him losing his job, losing his family, mm-hmm. uh, then ending up homeless, it devastated him. Uh, the mental health issues he went through. So, you know, if homelessness could be helped and sorted out, there's so many other issues that flow from it that could be stemmed if we could deal with this homeless issue. Just to build on Peter's point earlier, I, I believe in a very strongly in a righteous anger. There is a time to be angry. Yes. Yes. Uh, and not to be nice, nice little Christians in their nice little beautiful churches, but to stand with placards and say, this is wrong and we believe this is why it is wrong. Um, Jesus then turned the tables over, you know, gave so many examples. He was angry. And I think this is something that the churches in Ireland need to be angry about and fuel it properly, you know, and deal with it uh, well, uh, with government and, and whatever. But let's get angry. Absolutely, I agree with that. Uh, anger is a very positive emotion. People think of it as something very negative because it can often explode destructively. But anger and love go together. You cannot love somebody who's suffering unnecessarily without being angry at what's causing the suffering. So I think uh, we need to be angry, and I think we Christians need to be angry. This world is not the way God wanted it to be. We are not living uh, as uh, in the way in which God uh, would have liked us to live. And so we should be angry, angry at that, angry enough to want to change it, to want to change it to be like the world that God wants us to be. And we should be angry at homelessness in a way that we want to, uh, we, we want to change it. Uh. And yet is there still a shadow <clears throat> hanging over people like yourselves on the ground trying to get things done of previous church scandals, etc., almost in, in some sense silencing you or, or, or limiting you in how righteously angry you can get. Well, God forgive us if we ever let fear get in the way of anger. God, God forgive us if we ever, whatever our circumstances are as churches, whatever, we've, whatever the past has been, if we allow ourselves to be put a shut up because... 
uh, we're frightened of what might happen to us. Or it's not you, about us, it's about others. Judge, and I'd come back to what Jean said a moment ago. You know, homeless people should be at the centre even of our discussions. We have so much to learn from homeless people. They have so much to teach us. Pope Francis is constantly saying we must not just evangelise the poor, we must be evangelised by the poor. And I can resonate that from my own experience. I have learned so much from working with homeless people. They have taught me so much. They have challenged at least some of my prejudices. They have taught me never to judge people. They have made me appreciate how gifted I have been by God when I hear their stories, because I had a very good childhood, a very good upbringing. Then I hear their stories and I realize just how gifted uh, I have been. Uh, so they have so much to, uh, to, to teach us and to give to us. We tend to see, oh, we have to give to homeless people. Uh, no, the reality is it's a two-way process. We have transition year students. We have 14, 15-year-olds who come to our drop-in centre uh, and they spend a week there just listening to the stories of homeless people. It has a huge impact on them. On the Monday morning, they come in and they want to know what can they do now for the homeless people in the drop-in centre. By Friday, they have realised they had nothing to give homeless people, but homeless people had given them so very, very much. Sister Jean? Just on that, actually, uh, we've invited uh, one of our residents to come and speak at the UN in three weeks' time. Uh, she's going to speak both outside and inside the UN, and uh, the Secretary-General, Antonia Guterres, will be there. Um, she's one of our residents. She's, uh, she's got a family. So it's, it's taking up again what Peter has said, don't talk about us without us. They have to be part of the conversation. And I suppose the challenge for me is not necessarily around the church, though I could say a lot about it, but the challenge is when will the government bring us round the table together? Um, and I'm particularly concerned about children, you know, uh, who are homeless. Um, and, and that's a big issue. Peter? Yeah, I think the uh, the ideology has failed. The private sector will never provide housing for low-income families. Uh, and we've got to go back to building council houses. 1975, this country built 8,500 council houses. In 1985, we built 6,900 council houses. And in 2015, this country built 75 council houses. And that's at the core of the problem. When you become homeless, there's no council housing to move into and you're forced to try and find housing in an already overcrowded private rented sector. We've got to go back to building uh, uh, social housing uh, on, a, on a pretty massive scale. I'm curious to recalibrate this for a minute because I'm just thinking, you know, from your perspective, Sister Jean, in New York, in the UN, has anybody got this right anywhere in the world? No, I well, don't think so. Uh, probably uh, Finland, one small country probably, is often uh, held up as a model, but it's a small country and it's the way they use their tax system. But in many of the other countries, um, in some ways people don't want to talk about, governments don't want to talk about homelessness because it's an embarrassment to them. So it's kept locked up. It's a, it's a global problem. The underlying 
causes are the same. There's a vast amount of global international capital looking for a return on their investment. The best investment you can make is in residential accommodation around the world in in most countries. And that's where they're coming in. We have the vulture funds. We have the cuckoo funds. They're coming in. They're buying up big swathes of property. They're going to throw the people out, renovate them, uh, re-let them at high rents uh, and make a problem. One of the studies in this Bible study, this six-week Bible study, is asking the question: What's the difference between a house and a home? Mm. And mm. we challenge people to think about: You know, is your reason Dedra to leave to your children a big nest egg, or spend it yourself by investing in other houses, or do you want to create homes? Do you want to create a home for your child, your family? Mm. And what is the difference in that? And asking church people just to mm. think about you know where are you spending your money what is your investment in is it in people property a nest egg you know what what are you trying to achieve in life mm. i'm curious you know with with the people of, of faith here in the studio this evening um peter going back to you know you as a young fellow in 1970 maybe around that time a, a newly yeah. ordained priest um did you know what you were heading into? Oh, if I had known then, I'd have turned around and run the other way. <laughs> no, I went to the inner city of Dublin in 1974 to, to work and to live. And uh, it was clear working with young people was a priority. Mm. But it was young people leaving school early. They were mm. leaving school by the age of 12 and hanging around the streets all day, getting into trouble. Uh, so that, that was the issue. Homelessness was a very, very small problem. Uh, but then I came across a nine-year-old kid sleeping on the street. So we said, look, we better do something for this kid. We had a youth club for all the kids in the area. We, run, we were running a craft centre for them all. We had employment schemes. So let's get a hostel and, and take in a few of these kids. So we did that. And then it just it snowballed from there. And it's interesting that, you know, in those days, we opened our first hostel. It was for kids up to the age of 16. And uh, when I approached the uh, authorities for fun, they said, look, we don't agree with this hostel. We don't see the point of this hostel. We're not going to support this hostel. The, I, the thinking was the best place for a child to grow up was in their own home. Now we know it's the worst place for some kids. But then that was the thinking. And if a child kept running away from home, the response, get the guards to pick him up and bring him back home again. So when we started opening hostels for young people under 18, I was seen as part of the problem, <laughs> not as part of the solution. Mm. So, uh, and now we recognise and young people under 18, you won't find young people under 18 on the streets. They're well looked, reasonably well looked after. Uh, the problem now has shifted to uh, over 18s. Uh, and to and to families, uh, and you know the greatest number of homeless people in Ireland now is in the age group not to four. That's the biggest uh, category, uh, and they have no rights. They have no rights. If you're four years old, living, and your family is homeless, you do not have a legal right to a roof over your head. And some local authorities have refused to accommodate families. And when the Mercy Law Centre, who do great work uh, in, 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 in relation to homelessness, when they challenged in the High Court, uh, they lost. There is no legal right for a young child to have a roof over their head if they're, if they're homeless. Sister Jean, is there room for the Bible in your work in the initiative that you're doing? Absolutely. I suppose I find wisdom in the experience or find God in the experience and actively try to do that. Um, even when I walk the corridors of the UN, I make a point sometime of standing or sitting and just bringing God into that experience. 
because that's really key for me, actually. And I represent 22 communities of religious uh, from Unanima International at the UN with 25,000 members. So I try to remember that each day that I'm walking those corridors. Sister Jean Quinn, Reverend Brian Anderson and Father Peter McVary, thank you for joining us on The Leap of Faith. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's our programme for tonight. The programme is produced by Sheila O'Callaghan. From me, good night.